0: Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Toleric Community Church. Lord be with you, Community Church. My name is Ryan, I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. It says this, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord. We say, Thanks be to God. Hey TCC, Ryan here. We have uh, not too much going on after church today, I know, so we're going to take our sweet, sweet time on this Super Bowl Sunday. We're continuing in our sermon series on Jesus' life as told through the book of Luke. We've been calling our sermon series Luke for All Seasons. And our time today will revolve around a single question. That question may sound relatively straightforward at first blush, but like an onion, in honor of Farm Show Week here in Larry, there are layers to it. Here's the question. Can we see the miraculous in the ordinary? Can we see the miraculous in the ordinary? Let's figure out how our passage will first pose and then answer this question during our time here together. Now, no matter how secularized Western culture becomes, we we'll always have a soft spot for miracles. They help soothe the ache we all have for the supernatural without having to have a real conversation about the supernatural. We see this a lot in Christmas movies. In the Christmas Chronicles, Kurt Russell plays a godlike Santa who can not only do magic, but also knows everything about every person on earth omnisciently. Christmas spirit, however, in the movies is low, and to fly Santa's magic sleigh, a concert in a jail cell is needed to get Christmas spirit back up. Sure enough, it works, the sleigh can fly, and everyone proclaims it's a Christmas miracle. This kind of language has become part of our cultural vocabulary. We see miracles in sports, politics, the weather. Whether you consider yourself to be a Christian or not, When the cancer diagnosis comes, when the cycle of addiction can't be broken, when we desperately want doors opened or just as badly closed, we pray for, we hope for a miracle. We have a longing for the miraculous. We crave the miraculous. I don't don't care how avowedly atheist you think you are, we are kidding ourselves if we think that we don't want to believe that life itself is more than atoms randomly joining together. We love miracles because they point to the possibility that there's something greater at place, something greater than ourselves. But I do wonder if our understanding of what a miracle is actually holds us back from seeing that greater something. I wonder how our lives would change if our understanding of miracles changed. Our passage today, we've got four verses. It's a famous passage. It's short, certainly. Jesus and his disciples decide to cross a lake, also known as the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus falls asleep. A storm, highly normal for the Sea of Galilee, arrives, and the boat they're on begins to sink. Now, this is all eerily similar to Jonah, as he sails to Tarshish, and like the sailors in that story, the disciples get scared, and they go wake up the guy who can calm everything down. So, they wake up Jesus, he calms the storm, and after what we can imagine is a somewhat frustrated sigh, he asks... Where is your faith? And then my favorite part, In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. The disciples are amazed. They've just seen a miracle. They're stunned even, absolutely baffled. And as we read this passage, especially in a vacuum, we can think to ourselves, Well, of course, we would be too. The guy tells the weather what to do, for goodness sake. It's kind of a harsh question from Jesus, if you think about it. But here's the deal. We are not in their shoes. The reality is that pretty much all of us would likely, at best, only make up the ever-present crowd that follows Jesus around. Which means that we haven't seen all the other ludicrous stuff Jesus has already done. In Luke 4... He frees a possessed man from an impure spirit, cures Simon's mother-in-law of her fever, heals all kinds of people. Terrified demons call him the Son of God. And then in Luke 5, he heals a man who had leprosy, heals the paralyzed man who's famously lowered down through a roof on a mat by his friends. And then in Luke 6, Jesus heals a man's shriveled hand on the Sabbath of all days. And you might try to rebut, well, it's not until Luke 6 that the 12 apostles are officially chosen, which is really a bad argument since they were all almost certainly there for almost all or all certainly of the miracles performed, or they'd at least heard about them. And then in Luke 7, which remember comes after Luke 6, Jesus brings a woman's dead son back to life. Yeah. So after all this, he calms a storm, and they're still saying, Who is this? Are you kidding me? Jesus' question isn't harsh. It's actually quite spot on. Where is your faith? When we see it in context, the whole, the whole thing seems rather absurd. It's, it's quite surprising that they're still so surprised. But I wonder if the disciples have the same definition of miracles that we do. I wonder if their understanding of what a miracle is, like ours, is potentially holding them back from seeing a far greater picture that is at play. During our service last week, we sang a song that has refused to leave my mind. The song is called Great Are You, Lord, and our team did a phenomenal job playing it for us. And the lyrics that refuse to leave me alone go like this: You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness. It's your breath and our lungs, so we pour out our praise. Here's the Merriam Webster definition of the word miracle an event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be a work of a divine agency. You give life, you bring light to the darkness, it's your breath in our lungs. See, here's what Christianity says. God created you. He created the world around you. You are not here by some inexplicable microscopic accident. You are here on purpose. Christianity also states that you are not sustained by accident either. The earth is tilted on its axis, rotating just far enough away from the sun to not burn up, but just close enough for everything to not turn into a giant icicle. You live and breathe and laugh and cry and you create new life because you are held by the God who created that life in the first place. See, this is the doctrine of providence. If it were not for God's perpetual, unending will and action to sustain life, life itself would cease cease to exist. A miracle is an event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. It is your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. The writer and Anglican priest Tish Harrison Warren quotes Alfred Hitchcock when she writes in her book uh, called Liturgy of the Ordinary, movies are life with the dull bits cut out. And she builds on Hitchcock's quote when she writes, car chases and first kisses, interesting plot lines, and good conversations. We don't want to watch our lead character going on a walk, stuck in traffic, or brushing his teeth. At least not for long, and not without a good soundtrack. We tend to want a Christian life with the dull bits cut out. See, when we're honest, we're all guilty of this. But if we can start to understand God's providential love, can we also begin to see the miraculous in the ordinary? That the sun and the rain and the land and the ability to work it all comes from him and are therefore just as miraculous as Jesus calming a storm. See, you're a miracle. You, right there. Not because you're different or better than your neighbor. Not because of anything that you've done You are a miracle because God made you and he sustains you. If we can see and appreciate the miraculous reality that it's his breath that fills our lungs, how much more can we appreciate it when the healing does come? When the cured disease happens, the opened door, the calmed storm, no longer asking Who is this, but stating with reverence and humility, this is the work of God. Because if he's willing to continually perform the miracle of life itself, then of course, he's willing to perform the miracle of saving that life from eternal damnation. Of course, he was willing to do whatever it took, even if it meant his son, Jesus, suffering and dying for the sins of the world on the cross. When we begin to see the miraculous in the ordinary, then the things we once perceived as miraculous begin to make sense. Harrison Warren continues, Yet God made us to spend our days in rest, work, and play, taking care of our bodies, our families, our neighborhoods, our homes. What if all these boring parts matter to God? What if days passed in ways that feel small and insignificant to us are weighty with meaning and part of the abundant life that God has for us? Can we see the miraculous in the ordinary? In the mundane? In the moments we take for granted? Because if we can, how much more will we appreciate not only what God has done and is doing right now, How much more can we appreciate the salvation that is offered to all who would believe in Jesus? But how much more will we also appreciate who God is and the miraculous love that he has for us? Love that can calm a storm, love that suffers a cross. So TCC, here's your challenge. Slow down. Take your eyes off your phone this week. Stop listening to the radio or your podcast or the news. Pay attention to the little moments, the ordinary moments, and see them for the miracle they are. The beat of our hearts and the inflation and deflation of our lungs are all miraculous because they are ultimately the work of God as he pours out his love for his creation. I want to finish with a quote by Julian of Norwich, medieval writer who put it this way. It's a story he's telling and he says, and he showed me more, a little thing, the size of a hazelnut on the palm of my hand, round like a ball. I looked at it thoughtfully and wondered, what is this? And the answer came, it is all that is made. I marveled that it continued to exist and did not suddenly disintegrate. It was so small. And again, my mind supplied the answer, it exists both now and forever because God loves it. In short, everything owes its existence to the love of God. Can we see the miraculous in the ordinary? Your life will change if you can. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.